This week on a lively experiment, a contentious bill for firefighters heads to the Senate, and the governor continues to push for expansion of the Rhode Island Promise Program. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by... For 30 years, a lively experiment has been helping us understand the most important issues facing Rhode Islanders. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr., and I'm proud to be a sponsor of this great program. Joining us on the panel this week, former Rhode Island Attorney General Arlene Violet, Bill Bartholomew, host of the Bartholomew Town podcast, and Scott McKay, political analyst for the Publics Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Jim Hummel. A controversial firefighter overtime bill dominated much of the headlines this week as legislation mandating overtime for any hours over 42 worked in a week passed overwhelmingly in the House and now heads to the Senate. There is not much middle ground in this debate. Supporters say it is about fairness, while opponents predict financial calamity for local communities that have some of the highest firefighter costs in the country. Uh, Scotty, I noted that uh, Kathy Gregg had all of the contributions that had gone uh, from the firefighters to politicians. We'll talk about that in a minute. I don't know why here, why now, but this really is, there is no black and white on this. There's no, I mean, it's black and white. There's no middle ground. Yeah, it's the usual kind of special interest frittata that we have at the Statehouse. And one thing about labor, unlike small business in this state, they work politics. They knock on doors. They provide campaign finance to folks. Um, one of the things I can't figure out at the state house is why we do this all or nothing stuff. There's never any creative thinking about how to deal with uh, firefighter costs. They're high. We have good firefighters. They deserve a decent pay and benefits. But one thing is we've got so many fire departments in this state. We should regionalize the state house. Over the years, people will say, well, what we got to do is we got, why do we have dispatchers? Why does Central Falls and Pawtucket have different dispatchers. I mean, I don't understand why we can't do some consolidation and find a way in this small, tiny state which you can drive across in 40 minutes without even violating the universally scoffed at speed limits and find a way to put this together and come up with a a more regional approach to firefighting. What about the bill, Arlene? Uh, First of all, it's a total pandering bill. Uh, I also feel that it really disrespects the prerogatives of cities and towns. And it's just one of many bills that this present legislature, I think, is dissing the local cities and towns. On the, on the cost issue, I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. This is not a fairness issue. Uh, it's more like taking a bath issue on towns. I looked at the last report that was done by RIPEC, which is fiscal year 2016. And in terms of income, the cost per thousand dollars is six dollars and eight cents for each one thousand dollars of personal income. Meanwhile, in New York, it's almost half that three dollars and fifteen cents there. Uh, Texas, two dollars and forty eight cents per thousand. Us, six dollars and eight cents. When you look at something like that, here's other states that have skyscrapers and incredible apartment complexes and all the security related issues. And for us to be almost double the cost of, of uh, fire fighting is ridiculous. So this bill is really a total pander and a giveaway. Uh, and I think it's going to pass uh, just like the Evergreen bill will also pass because it's an off election year and it's the tribute now to uh, unions 
Uh, and regrettably, people are going to be soaked. And the federal standard, we should note, is 53 hours. 53 hours, right. What do you think? I tend to agree with Scott that some creative thinking should go into this. But one thing I will say is speaking with firefighters this week, and it's just a small number of them, but across different departments, universally, emphatically, uh, each firefighter insists that a four-platoon system is essential for their own safety and to be able to, to deliver the service at the highest level. So that's something to be taken into consideration. Of course, you've got to look at the fiscal burden that something like this is going to create. But it's going to take creativity to solve that problem and a blend of different ideas that we see right now. And unfortunately, we're in a black and white spot. Yeah, and I mean, Rhode Island is so parochial and provincial that, you know, why does Cumberland, for instance, have like, what, four or five fire departments? Right. So you can have five chiefs and they can walk around town all day calling each other chief. It just doesn't Coventry. All these small towns, Burrowville, with all these fire, I don't understand. Well, so what, what's also driving this is North Kingstown went to the three platoon 56 yeah. hour. Well, Providence and, did too. And, and well, but the they problem. did it in the middle of a contract, so that got struck down. But what they see on the horizon is this is done in other areas of the country. They've seemed to figure it out where the 24 hour shifts, everybody see, makes it sound like, you know, everybody's yeah. life is in danger because it's 20. Other places in the country do it. I think this is other really. Other places also have regional, sometimes county. Sure. Metro- Metropolitan police and firefighters. I don't understand again why we can't think outside the box a little bit. But the speaker, it's all politics, right? Uh, And it's onerous. I mean, unlike other places too, uh, Providence has a two billion dollar problem between its pension and the health care that it provides. Uh, Warwick is teetering. Uh, When that study is finally done, we'll see giant, giant hole of monies uh, that they're short on. So to me, this. The impact of this, as well as the evergreen contract, where you just continue from the next year, it's going to be devastating. We're on the ledge here with this kind of legislation. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see the uh, evergreen contract as a calamity. I think that, in fact, most private sector union contracts have some kind of an evergreen in there. I do understand that the Superintendents Association and the school committees would like to see that as a negotiated item. And everybody yells about the teacher unions, but you know what? Massachusetts has the best scores in the country, and all their teachers are unionized in the same unions as the Rhode Island teachers. I don't think the Evergreen thing's going to be that big a deal. I thought, just to finish up on the firefighters, I thought it was interesting, Joe Solomon Jr., who's a state rep, <laughs> yeah, of course. and his, his father's like underwater in Warwick, right. he voted for it. Sure. So. Yeah. On the Evergreen contract, though, it takes away uh, the negotiation. It's another diss on the cities and towns. It ought to be a negotiated issue at the local level. But now here's the General Assembly again on both these issues usurping what should be the prerogatives of municipalities. Yeah, there is something at the State House, and this has gone on for years. Those folks at the State House like to say they're heroes. We're cutting your car taxes. We're cutting utility taxes for small business. But then. They dump all of these uh, the <laughs> mandates, requirements on the cities and towns. And then they're doing things like the governor talking about cutting payments in lieu of taxes to Providence, where, you know, 45 percent of the property tax is tax exempt. And so it makes the statehouse people look like we're heroes. We're doing the right thing. And then they just slough it off to the cities and towns and the town councils and the mayors of the people who get stuck having to say, guess what? We're raising your taxes because yeah. we have to because the state cut the amount of money we're getting. All right. We uh, moved to Central Falls. A little bit of controversy over the Wyatt Detention Center. The mayor uh, is not pleased that some of the ICE detainees are there. They've moved to stop that. And an interesting move, the board of... uh, 
the board of direct. Well, what is it? The um, it's the the bondholders, bondholders have filed a suit. So give me your legal analysis on this. First of all, there's a brilliant strategy I think of the bondholders actually filing a receivership because that brings a halt to everything. Uh, and it also casts the case within the context that the receiver now has to preserve the assets. And absolutely nobody but nobody can move uh, any decisions without the receiver's permission. So I think the city is going to be on the losing end here because of the strategy of applying for receivership. You wrote something this week about the Wyatt. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I wrote an op-ed. I think the place should be shut down and demolished. But I do believe <laughs> that that should be done in a fiscally responsible manner that is a long-term strategy. I think that the Wyatt represents in real time the condescending tone that most of Rhode Island has presented to and upon Central Falls. So this is an opportunity to look to the future and to sort of undo this process that began in 1993, well, prior to 1993, but the place first received prisoners in 93. I know you can't demolish it tomorrow. I know that we're going to go through this legal battle potentially, but hey, I think it should be gone. But it was making money for Central Falls for years, right? Well, well yeah. Uh, you know, it's really interesting, though. I, I, I think this is a story behind the story. Uh, and be careful what you wish for, because a receiver can co- cut contracts. So there was a letter to the editor in Friday's paper where the person was talking about they work 60 hours over there, etc. Well, guess what? Relative the gravy train is going to be the over. The gravy train may very well be over if, it, if they are losing money because it's the receiver's job to really uh, put it on uh, an even keel ground. So lots of heartache, I think, ahead. You know what this is really about, I think, though, if you look a little deeper? It's the same thing in Newport, where people in Newport, Newporters, didn't think a casino was what fit with Newport. Now you've got a new generation of Latino political folks in Central Falls, Mayor Diosa, Representative Maldonado, these kind of folks, they want to present their own view to the world. You know, the other guys were corrupt. The majority, well, for Chuck Moreau going to jail, it was a kleptocracy over there. And you've got these new, young, idealistic Latino politicians. And this is just another kind of, you know, the ethnic ballet that's defined Rhode Island. Uh, for years. And this is a new group taking over. They want to put a different face on the world. They don't see their community. It's a poor community struggling, but they've made a lot of gains. Let's give them some credit compared to the corruption that they used to have in Central Falls. And I think they see this as their new city up and coming economic development, helping folks out. I don't think they want to be known as the privatized jail town. You know, another point for immigrants, particularly when you have ice involved. Mm. I just don't think they see their community uh, anymore in that light. And also, this is not the financial boom that it was promised to be, as Bill pointed out. Ten bucks a head profit really on each ice detainee per day. I mean, it does add up, but it's not. No. Big business by any stretch. No, it's not like Fidelity's moved to uh, Central Falls. And I think it's more than just the Latinx community in Central Falls saying, hey, this is a specific, this is specifically related to our community. Right. I think it speaks to communities everywhere saying, hey, we want to shape the dynamics and the tone of where we live. And that should start with yeah. city councilors and, and, the, and the people on the ground. You know, when I say Newport, I mean, I'm looking at a much different community. But when you look at that casino vote a few years back, General, you've been around for a few of these. Uh, People in Newport just didn't see their city as needing a casino. They didn't want that to be their public face of the world. They want the mansions, the dining, 
the golf course, the sailing. That's what their image of Newport is in their own minds. And we're a small parochial state. And one of the reasons we can't regionalize well is, remember Nick Gorham? West Kanawha? West Kanawha, yeah. Yeah, we just don't, for some reason, we like to have our localism here in New England. Well, I thought if anything was going to do it, it would have been the, the 10 years ago when we had the, just the, the bottom dropped out on the economy. Right. And if that wasn't going to get us to regionalization, I'm it not didn't. sure it didn't. what was. It didn't do it. Okay, the, uh, the budget for next year continues to be a challenge to balance. Probably the budget for this year, too. The uh, May revenue, uh, revenue Estimating Conference will be coming out in a couple of weeks. Arlene, this is the first time we've had you on since the budget. And we've talked for weeks and weeks and weeks about some of the fees and the nickel and diming, and it's a $10 billion budget. I, I'm wondering if you can give me the 30000 View. We'll get into some of the gambling and, and pot and all of that about this governor's budget and what you think. Uh, well, I, you know, it, it's it's pasted together without really research. I mean, this one item that you just brought out is a classic example. They did no independent study on what the revenue, in fact, would be. They just accepted it from the foxes the who betting. are guarding, right, on the right. sports betting, who are guarding the hen house. And, oh, gee, it's not $13 million, it's 300000 at this point. Uh, it, it, I just think I have never seen the legislature and the governor's office look so poorly as uh, now in terms of what they're doing up on Smith Hill. Maybe they and, should have waited till Tom Brady retired and then the Patriots would have tanked and we would have made money, right? Uh, well, maybe so. However, that's just a small little itty-bitty pot uh, in terms we lost, what, 900000 I guess, on that. But still, you're still far away from the other $12 million that you, in fact, were supposed to have. Uh, I think they look like rubes. I really do. Uh, and uh, uh, the special interests and the fights over uh, the school and uh, the promise. and It's really disgusting, frankly, to watch uh, the back and forth here because it's all about politics and nothing about brains. I don't want to be too alarmist here. We're not in the banking crisis, uh, General. Uh, things aren't. This isn't the worst it's ever been. So, however, the economy's changed. And remember, Governor Chafee tried to do this. If you're going to have sales taxes, things like the Internet, we're in a different world taxing services. We're not just, you know, uh, retail stores like they used to be. So times have changed. I do think there's some problems with going at this in a nickel and dime way. Um, And marijuana, look, it's inevitable. We're going to have legal marijuana. Connecticut Judiciary Committee just passed it. Massachusetts has it. So whatever social costs there are, we're sandwiched between those two states. If it's legal in Connecticut and Massachusetts... People are going to drive over and get it. Two-thirds of the state's population lives within, what, a 20-minute drive of Massachusetts? So that's inevitable. I do fear and think that pot should have been studied. Marijuana should have been studied more. Because it was illegal, the CDC, we don't have good studies on a lot of aspects of marijuana. Particularly, I think law enforcement has a legitimate concern in the fact that there's not a way to adequately test when you're driving test stoned uh, so-called yeah. stone driving. Yeah, you, know, I, you pull a guy over, he's got a bag of Doritos open on the front seat, <laughs> and the car <laughs> smells. It's a pretty good sign. Yeah, and quickly, car- my remarks are really though the process. Putting aside the money in that you know, uh, reflection on Rizdick, of course, in that fiasco. I'm talking about the process. They're not working together. Everyone's like, look at me, pat me on the back. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. They, it looks really like the Keystone Cops up there. <laughs> well, I think when back, hasn't it? I think back to the, the state of the state, you know, and, and the comments. I remember Nick Mattiello, Speaker Mattiello, we'll see where the pain comes. You know, we'll see. We'll come May. We'll know exactly what we can 
uh, advance in terms of the governor's proposals and, and what we can't. And it looks like it's going to be a lot more of what we can't do. Um, it's tough to bank the future of the state on gambling, cannabis, things like that at any level. Number one, because the state-run industry is just a portion of the broader industry you know, that, that makes money. A lot of private sector money is going yep. nowhere near the state when it comes to both those areas. And that won't change. We've seen that in Massachusetts. Gambling, yep. I think those New England Patriots uh, bets, a lot of that was people probably placing a bet for the first and only time in their life. And they're just voting or voting. They're just betting on the home team. So you'll see that turn around. But that's not going to fund the type of robust programs. No, but that you are, know what? Looking for politicians love sin taxes because they can run around and tell people, "Look, we cut your car tax. We're doing the good thing. We're running the government inside the budget." When in reality, you know, gambling is now the third largest source of revenue for the state of Rhode Island. And at some point, I don't know when this is, but at some point, all these casinos were already seeing this in Massachusetts. Or MGM out in Springfield, you know, we become saturated. There's only so many gamblers. We're going to have our own backyard casinos. <laughs> I mean, it's it's crazy. Keno, and at some point, you know, Mass is building another huge one. Connecticut went big on this. We've got our two, you know, convenience casinos, whatever you want to call it. And I think at some point, and we're already seeing this at MGM in Springfield, where they've had to cut what they get for their rooms. Our friend, old friend Mark Arsenault did a very good piece about this in the Boston Globe. And, you know, this, this isn't going to be the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow forever. At some point, there's only so many gamblers. It's going to max out. And they've done those studies on the casino. I also wonder, I was at an event this week. I was interviewing the governor for something else, but I went to this another one of these forums out at CCRI, and they, they rolled the kids out about this sure. has changed my life. And nobody can disagree with that concept. But the speaker has made it clear, Arlene, that we're, read my lips, we're probably not going to be able to afford new programs. And she's continuing to put capital into the Rhode Island promise taxpayer-funded tuition, and I wonder why she's doing this when she knows it's probably not going to go through. Well, this is a fight of legacies, right? Of course, Mr. Mattiello wants his legacy to be that he phased out the car tax. Her legacy is the Rhode Island promise, uh, and that's why she's continuing to fight. Cutting to the bottom line, there's no question we could fund what she wants to do, because what a budget is, is just a reflection of the priority of what, of what the state has. So she's fighting for what should be her priority. She's welcome, in fact, to do that. But she'll never get it in any year if she backs down right now. So I, I think it's a good strategy that she's continuing to fight. Not that I like the idea, by the way, but I think she's strategically uh, appropriate. And does she also, then she's able to say, hey, I proposed it, but it's the legislature that turned it down. What do you, have we talk, we've talked about Rhode Island Promise with you, yes? Yeah, well, I spoke uh, last week to a group of URI Democrats, and it's interesting. This is a priority issue for them. In fact, some of them are testifying in favor of the expansion. Uh, and I was surprised by that. Of course, it makes sense. You'd want to go to school for as little as cash as possible. Who wouldn't? Um, but it's, it really does seem like a bedrock program from a legacy perspective and from a target perspective. Even if it doesn't happen this year, even if it doesn't expand to Rick this year, the, the more groundwork that's laid, that's a priority for young people, uh, it seems, 18 to 21. Um, I was surprised how far to the top of the list that jumped in terms of younger Rhode Islanders right now. I mean, it makes perfect sense, but the specificity of the program. You know, you can break down the merits of it, whether or not it's a good program on a totally different topic. But 
Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's important to at least a large demographic right now. You know, it's not only that. One of the worst things we've done, this is states around the country from Providence to Pasadena, is the way that we have cut public support for higher education. I mean, our generation, older folks like me and Jim and the general, not you, Bill, young <laughs> fellow, but we remember when state universities, people didn't graduate from state universities. I went to a state university, so did you. And, you know, they didn't graduate with this mountain of student loan debt. And so I think it's. A I think you are right. It's eight or nine percent of the budget now comes from. That's it. It's a stunning. Right. And it's been a continual decline. It has, and it really dropped during the recession. Governor Kachiri, in particular, went after that. And I think that what you're looking at is, you know, we need to have an educated workforce. We all cry in Rhode Island. Oh, we don't have as educated a workforce as Massachusetts. This is holding us back economically, and so education's a good investment. Now, can we afford to do the Promise Scholarship this year? Well, that's a whole other question. I think if the May revenue estimates come out the way they look, one of the things I haven't figured out yet, nobody really has come up with a great idea. I talked briefly with Mike DBAs about this, thinks maybe demographic, but if you look, we're almost at full employment, and yet income tax revenues are soft. They're under the estimates, and I think that's... Uh, kind of a red flag that people should be looking at. The, what What is happening in the economy? Fewer people in the workforce? Are wage stagnation? Are wages not going up? You remember the 1990s when Allman was governor. Mm. And things were booming. And revenues actually, once you got full employment, almost under 4% unemployment, revenues trended up. And we're not seeing that on the income side. Right. I think some people are worried about that. Um, Let's do outrages, and then we will go to a few national issues. Bill, what do you have this week? It's sort of a soft outrage. Uh, It broke (laughs) yesterday. uh, Ted Nisi broke the story about the summary is Lieutenant Governor McKee and some northern Rhode Island mayors are taking a trip to Taipei. Taiwan, uh, right? Yeah, Taiwan. uh, (laughs) Junket time at the Statehouse. Big time. But... You know, you can't have it both ways. If you're you're talking about Pawtucket, you're talking about northern Rhode Island, the Blackstone River Valley, and you want to bring economic development in, you want to recover from the Paw Sox, you want to recover from Memorial Hospital, you want to recover from Hasbro's potential departure, you got to look way outside of Rhode Island and build partnerships and relationships with people who are interested in you, first of all, as is the case in this, uh, in this scenario. But uh, you've got to... You've got to put your best foot forward. I think that the delegation that's going there, I think they're flying there right now, uh, that's a solid peer group of people that work well together. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, these guys know each other. They, they present a, uh, a, a clear message when they travel as a, as a delegation uh, of attracting economic development to a specific region. And I just think it's time to look at things in perspective. Yeah, there may be a, a violation uh, on a procedural level. But it's not that every single issue has to turn into literally the end of the world or the biggest <laughs> news story of the day to the point where my mom texts me and says, what's going on with the lieutenant governor? <laughs> right. Has you he know, been indicted yet? <laughs> it's, it, that's the outrageous thing is that we can't have it both ways. And sometimes you just got to, I think, take a just chill out. Look at the reality of the story. Good story by Ted. You know, not, not ripping the story. But how do we assess that? How do we? analyze that as Rhode Islanders. we got to grow here. We've well, got to don't, don't forget, if there wasn't a lieutenant governor, how could you tell? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you right. go. Yeah, well, he gone. went a year he ago, gone. and apparently nobody knew he was gone for right. 10 days. So yeah, bring back Bob Healy, right? There you yes. go. Scotty, what do you have? 
I got a mild one, too. Uh, you know, the Pawtucket Red Sox, we all love the Paw Sox. We know they're headed to Massachusetts. But now, next month, they're going to have these Worcester Nights. Now, I understand what they're doing. They're marketing to their new fans in Worcester. But they're going to have this fireworks, all-you-can-eat buffet. <coughs> I'm just wondering how this is going to go over uh, with Rhode Islanders. Are they rubbing our nose in this? I mean, we know they're going to Worcester. Do they have to start having Worcester Nights in Pawtucket already? Please. I don't know. Arlene, what do you have? I wanted to say something good about this class action I'm filing uh, on behalf of the babies against the politicians who kiss them without their permission. <laughs> no, seriously. I do, I do want to talk about uh, the teachers. We'll get to Joe Biden in a second. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Uh, yeah, and their uh, objection to the legislation about sex between uh, people in power like teachers and other uh, personnel and kids between age 16 and 18. I just think the arguments are ridiculous against that legislation. It doesn't point out anything any more than having background checks of people uh, when they go to a school, et cetera, to make sure there isn't a bad background. So I just think it was a lot of hysteria and has nothing to do with uh, uh, being anti-teacher. It has everything to do with protecting young kids. And the, and the ACLU jumped in saying, what about other classes of people? How about addressing the problem as it is, right? Address it, and that would be like a minor tweak, not a, t- a total opposition to the bill. It's a lot of hot air about not much, frankly. Right. Exactly. All right, uh, let's get to Joe Biden. Is Joe going to run, and how is he going to fix his race, guys? I think he's going to run, and you look at the polling. Right now you can't tell because the national polls pretty much – really just measure name recognition. Everybody knows who Joe Biden is. One thing is interesting is that if you poll the Democrats, this creepy old Joe inside the Beltway thing, a lot of people don't see it that way. I mean, a lot of people just see Joe Biden as an affectionate old Paul. There's nothing that suggests he has Stormy Daniels or Kumatas or any of the stuff we see with Trump and a lot of other politicians, Anthony Weiner. I mean, this. I think a lot of this is just. But today's up. Democratic Party is not Joe's Democratic right. Party for a lot of people. Let's talk to the young guy here. What do you think? I think he's in trouble. I think there's there's definitely trepidation on his end of how much embarrassment he might want to take, uh, or his family. That if he take, runs, if he then, runs, then he's the get... fire hose opens, right? Right. But what I mean, look, at this point. Wasn't it four years ago today that Bobby Jindal was going to be president of the United States? You know what I mean? So I, I know. Let's let's. I, that's where I'm at with it. Um, yeah. You know, we'll see what happens. Long but, uh, road. Long, this is a long. marathon, not a sprint. You know, it's interesting. I got a text from my daughter there at school in North Carolina. She said, hey, Beto O'Rourke is coming to campus next week. And I'm like, why is he going? But you realize they're going to start lining up their pockets. What do you think? You know, it's the, it's the opposite of what happened four years ago. We had 17 people running on the Republican side. Now it's kind of hard to get airtime. Joe Biden is a recognized figure. How does he affect the race when he jumps in? I agree with Bill. I, I think it's going to be a problem for him. It's the difference between the new party and the old party. The Democrats cannibalize one another, and I think they are going to have that so-called circular firing squad as they take uh, him out. So the issue right now isn't that what he's done is far less than what Trump has done, because he hasn't made it there yet. Before he gets there, it's going to be his own Democrats that are going to be doing him in. And I think there's a real sentiment among Democrats that we need the new and not the old. And they're, they're really going to hurt each other. Uh, as That's they where you are. Out. I mean, right now, the polls show Biden and Bernie Sanders uh, in the lead. Now, that's pretty a millionaire, obvious. millionaire, you mean. 
Pardon? The millionaire, you mean. Sanders, the <laughs> I've known Bernie Sanders for 45 years. Money is not what that, he's ever been at. That's for sure. You know, yeah. but I also think a lot of people may think, Bernie Sanders, well, you had your chance. Even Joe didn't jump in for a variety of reasons. Right. But people are like, well, Bernie, you, you had your chance, even though kind of the sh- shenanigans with Hillary Clinton. Yeah, but we've but seen this That before. was four years ago. I mean, come on. Richard Nixon lost a race and then won. George Bush, senior George Bush, loses and comes back. This is fluid. You just, we don't have black and white rules on presidential politics. It's proselytizing, though, isn't there? I mean, even the Democratic Party here, they feel that uh, the progressives, that that's the heart and soul of the party. So this is not like a minor battle. All right. There's plenty of people who would love to see Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez as president of the United States. You know, I know that seems like a small wing, but... Well, well, let's... She's not old enough. She's 29 years old. uh, (laughs) That is all the time. We'll leave you on that note. That is all the time we have Arlene and Bill and Scott, thank you. And we hope you can join us back here next week as a lively experiment continues. Have a great week. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by For 30 years, A Lively Experiment has been helping us understand the most important issues facing Rhode Islanders. Hi, I'm John Hazen White, Jr., and I'm proud to be a sponsor of this great program. 